welcome to Dogs Are Smarter Than People, the quick, fast, goofy, self-improvement podcast <laughs> of awesome with a brand new intro. I can't believe we have to redo the intro. We lost our intro because we're not tech savvy here, Dude, but we we're like, cool. We did like that 14 years ago. I, I know, man. What, I know. I don't even remember what the podcast is about at All this right, point. anyways. Dogs are smarter than people is the podcast that helps you live a happier, quirkier life. I'm Carrie Jones, a New York Times and internationally best-selling novelist, and the guy with me is actually married to me. <laughs> For how well, long, we don't know. But not much longer. It's been and, a good run. <laughs> but this is my co-host, Sean Farrar. Join us as we start off with a random thought about the weirdness of life, and then we segue beautifully and smoothly into... Dog advice? Dog tips? Life advice. You've got this. You've got (laughs) it too. Hey, welcome to Dogs Are Smarter Than People. What's up, baby? Well, boo, you know what? Like... I'm a little out of it today. Yeah, why is that? Well, the news story, it hit a little bit close to home. You know how we have a random thought in the beginning of every podcast? Oh, that news story. Yeah, oh, dear God, did everybody hear that? That's our dog. Itching. Itching, because it's called Dogs Are Smarter Than People. And honestly, I'm itching now, too, because this story makes me nervous. So basically, it's from Newsweek, Yeah. and it's about how older... Um, men in America are becoming fathers. Like it used to be in 1972, the average age of a new father um, was like 27 or so, and now it's 30, right? But 9% are 40. And when they first have a baby, right? Like, so, you know, in my family, I was the last child, and all my parents were well over, except my mama. We're well over 40, you know. How old was your mom? 35 or 36. Oh, that's not bad. No. And, um, but all my dads were like over 40. Right. And, um, so this article says from Newsweek, older dads can sometimes come with baggage too, whether it's emotional, physical, or the presence of a pre-existing family from a previous relationship, right? Yeah. And so since I was so young, I had like half brothers half nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and step nieces and nephews who are way older than me oh yeah of course like way older than me and yeah. so this news story is really about this guy wrote a social media post he's 34 his dad became a dad again at 56 right what and so his dad said um to his son that he wanted his nine-year-old daughter to call the baby her aunt. So, like... Oh, so the, the grandfather wanted his kid's nine-year-old daughter to call his new kid... Right. He wants his granddaughter you. to call, who's nine, to call his new baby, who's a baby, right. auntie, like, Sean. That's crazy. Yeah. And, like, so his son is, like, she is not into that. She's freaking nine. She wants to feel grown up. She doesn't want to say, like... Hi, Auntie Baby, to the right? baby. <laughs> and that's, that's crazy. weird. And I know that the opposite.
opposite way. Like, because my um, closest brother and sister were 14 or 15 years older than I was, right? Yeah. Like, when my sister first had her baby, I was nine, her first baby. Yeah. And he was supposed to call me Aunt Carrie. And I was like, oh, hell to the no. I'm not an ah, hell to the no. Yeah, like, no, you no. Aunt. Yeah, so that's the strange news. And they're acting on Newsweek like this is some brand new SHIT. But this is not some brand new SHIT. Because no, families no. have been effed up in the United States since the United States has started. Like, if you go and do your genealogy, you're like, oh, his cousin is his aunt. His is granddaughter. Right. Like, because there weren't enough populations to get everything well, as long down. As did law, it's okay. But you know what I mean? Like, it was always weird. You know, we've had yeah. a hit. But this article makes it sound like, oh, this is brand new. It's not brand new. No, no, no. It's like. That's been around forever, dude. Yeah, man. Families men, are weird. Men been making babies well. I mean, look at some of these guys, like super famous guys. Nowadays, they have kids when they're like 70. 70, 80, 90. You'd think by then they'd know how to use a condom, but no. Or freaking just get snipped. Snippy snip. Why not? I guess because they're old and famous. And their sperm is so special. It's It's golden plated platinum sperm. Damn. (laughs) Brings along a whole genetic line of drug addiction and. It's special. And narcissism. But it's hey, special. it's okay. It's gold plated. <laughs> Hello again, baby. Hello. I forgot to hit record. So I'm the techie of the podcast, and you can tell why because I have mad skills. She does have mad skills. Don't let her fool you. So let's talk about cognitive distortion. Oh. Yeah, that sexiest, right? The sexiest yeah. sentence ever. A warped brain? So, yeah, warped brains are us. So, cognitive distortions. Oh, that should be the name of the podcast. Cognitive distortions? No, that's not sexy. Warped brains are us. That's... Warped brains are us? Yeah, man. Uh-huh. All right, so cognitive <laughs> distortions are basically when you notice something that happens outside of yourself and you distort the hell out of it. And create this super exaggerated and oftentimes super duper negative view of yourself or another person. And there are at least six of these bastards, possibly more, depending on what psychiatrist you're talking to. Six different types of cognitive distortions? Yeah. Wow. And the first is called catastrophizing. And I'm a master at this, oh bad boy. Oh, my God. She should, be, but, should be a master class. Right but here. <laughs> how, to catastrophize how to make everything the absolute worst That's case scenario. That's why I call her worst case scenario. Exactly. But we're going to go through all of them according to one particular therapist and author, Esther Perel. Right? Uh, sure. So all of these definitions will obviously be a quote from her and her master class, right? But... <laughs> If you hear the words like hell, shebang, shebang, warped, or anything that doesn't sound intellectual, that's, that's us, yeah. <laughs> All right, so. When have we ever said shebang, shebang? I just did. I mean, maybe in bed or something. Oh, man. All right, so. Or of shebang? For the question? So, shebang? That was a Ricky Martin song, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think so. So, catastrophizing, which we've already mentioned, number one. Would you like to tell everybody what it is? Like sure. Lie, since I do it. No. Something goes wrong and you leap to the worst possible conclusions. Perhaps a plan faces a mild disruption. 
You and a friend arrive at a busy restaurant only to discover that the wait is too long for your appetites. What if we can't find anywhere to eat? A panicked voice in your head asks. What if every other restaurant is just as busy? What if this upsets my friend enough that we never make plans again? Catastrophizing leads every possible outcome into dire straits. I don't think I'm actually that bad. Um, There's some awkward pause over there, but I don't think I'm <laughs> actually that bad because I only, it's only like, oh, a book got rejected or, oh, someone said something mean to me about on the internet. And I only always jump to bankruptcy and public shame. Pretty much, yeah. Those are my two things. Those are your two okay. biggest things. All right. So then the number two one is, con- also, Shawnee never catastrophizes. It's so annoying. He obsessively locks every door and window in the house, but he never catastrophizes. Yeah, right. to prevent somebody from getting shot. So number two, because you're thinking of a catastrophe. All right, number two <laughs> is confirmation bias. And this one, uh, we learned a lot about this in the past decade because of social media and the press, right? Oh, yeah. So confirmation bias is, quote, the tendency to see what one is expecting to see overlooking or dismissing details that run counter to the internal narratives. Confirmation bias is particularly relevant when it reinforces your pre-existing negative feelings. To challenge those biases, Esther suggests a special tracking day when you look for everything the other person does, your manager, your colleague, your partner, Republicans, Democrats, that you felt was attentive and caring and warm towards you, and you'll begin to see how much we miss those because we're so focused on finding the ones expect to see. So like in politics is like, let's say you hate cruise ships. You're only going to look at cruise ships that have environmental studies worldwide that show negative environmental impacts. But say in your own town who you're talking to, like the town government about cruise ships, you will ignore all the national park air quality and water quality reports that say there actually hasn't been any difference here. Right. So you will not, those reports just won't even come into your brain, right? Or if you um, think that your spouse doesn't love you, every time they turn away or um, don't answer immediately, you only see that. And not every time your spousey wousey cugs you. I was going to suggest you need to take a tracking day for yourself. Maybe you need a tracking and don't day. don't even tell me what day it is. That way I won't be extra Hell kind. to the no, I'm not telling you nothing. Because if I was extra kind, I don't know. You do this I, I about might me? Dissolve. You do this about me? No, no. Yes, you do. What oh, do you're you? so perfect. <sighs> I All do, right. Thank you. Fundamental attribution error. Shawnee is number three. Is that what you just did? No, I just did. I was so perfect. (laughs) I'll read this one. And I The habit of tying one's own behavior to a complex combination of internal and external conditions while seeing others' behaviors as characteristic and essential. Example, if you're late to an event, you might recognize that forces outside your control, such as traffic, contribute to your tardiness. When someone else is late, you decide that they're inherently flaky. That's a cool one, man. Did it on purpose. That's cool, right? I think that's cool. Yeah, it is. All right, number four is personalization. So this is when you're convincing yourself that you're to blame for an event that was beyond your control. The entire birthday party went wrong because I wasn't fun that night, would be an example. 
Another form of personalization is the belief that you have been intentionally excluded or mistreated when in reality you're projecting into a situation that has little or perhaps nothing to do with you because you're not the center of the universe, sweetheart. Unless it was your birthday party that you thought was fun. <laughs> because you're just being a little stump on a bump on a log. Well, that yes, but you know what I mean. Like that's pretty I know obvious. I used sure. to do this a lot when I was a kid. Did you really? Yeah, I'd be like, why didn't Kathy Albertson invite me over? And she only invited over Andrea Henrichson and Susan Humphreys. Am I not cool? Does she hate me? Maybe you didn't bring the good snacks. I never brought good snacks because we were poor. All right, so number five is... Should statements. If you tell yourself that you need to make a change to your life, then fall into a cycle of guilt because you failed to make those changes, you may be experiencing this cognitive distortion. Rather than feeling spurred into action... Contemplating what you should be doing only serves as a reminder of the gulf separating you from the person you'd like to be. (sighs) Should thinking can extend far beyond the self, resulting in the assumption that other people, and even the entire human race, should behave in ways that conform to your beliefs. For instance, if you think chewing gum is disgusting. And you want to ban the entire world from chewing gum? This is a pretty good example of that cognitive It's a fantastic dissonance. example. Yeah. So, also, in my head, it's also things like, and I might be wrong, but in my head, it's also like, oh my gosh, I should go running every morning, and then I don't set the alarm, and or it's raining, and I don't do it, and I don't become the person I want to be, but I, and then I start feeling guilty. Well, you shouldn't. Yes. You shouldn't. All right. So, finally... I shouldn't. I shouldn't go running either. He says. Finally. <laughs> That's what I meant, actually. <laughs> he just doesn't like you when I get out of bed. Early. Ever. Wake um, me up early. Ever. Totalistic thinking is number six, and totalistic thinking is defining other people in absolute terms. They're always defiant, or they're never compassionate. People do this a lot about local politicians. By thinking in this way, you don't only paint your others with this broad brush, possibly relying on embellished moments from your own experiences with them, but you present your perception as objectively true. Well, heck yeah. All right, so how do you deal with all these cognitive distortions, right? Because we want to be helpful. According to Dr. Peter Grinspoon, writing for Harvard (laughs) Health (laughs) Publishing, A big part of dismantling our cognitive distortions is simply being aware of them and paying attention to how we are framing things to ourselves. Good mental habits, he says, are as important as good physical habits. If we frame things in a healthy, positive way, we almost certainly will experience less anxiety and isolation. This doesn't mean that we ignore problems, challenges, or feelings, just that we approach them with a can-do attitude instead of letting our thoughts and feelings amplify our anxiety. You want to read the second part of the quote? Hell yeah. He wrote, As someone who used to be an expert in getting tripped up by all these filters, I've learned to remind myself that whatever comes up, I'll deal with it as well as I can. I try to trust my future self to cope in an effective way with whatever life will throw my way. As such, there's no reason to worry about potential future problems in the here and now. If I worry about what might happen, then I have two problems. Whatever hypothetical challenge that might not even come up in the future and a lot of unhelpful anxiety to contend with. And a lot of cognitive dissonance. 
As they say in the science fiction masterpiece Dune, fear is the mind killer. Being anxious or afraid certainly makes me less effective no matter what I'm trying to accomplish. And cognitive dissonance, like they're all things like traps that our brain kind of falls into because we're afraid, because we're generalizing, because we expect the worst, because we only want to be right and can't be willing to face the fear of our own failure, right? Yeah. It's really interesting. It is. You got anything to say, big man? I say that you suffer from some of that quite often. Oh, thanks. But no, just perfect. the anxiety-inducing ones, that's all. I'm not perfect by mm. any means. You know, I always put the worst on people. You do, actually. And you have the last Usually I'm lot. right. But... Usually <laughs> You know why you think you're right? <laughs> because of my, what is it called? Confirmation bias, My confirmation baby. bias. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so much love to you from our warp brains to yours. Yeah. <laughs> Try to unwarp your brain. And the dog tip for life from Sparty is? Take a nap. Take a nap. It shouldn't podcast. <laughs> Do your friggin' thing. You're not the center of the universe. It's all good. But especially, the one piece of information in that last little bit was, don't dwell on things in the here and now that you can't really control. Yeah, I learned that really big time lately. <laughs> like two years ago. <laughs> love you. We love you all. Thanks okay. for listening. Have a great day. Yeah, and like and subscribe and all that stuff. Share, like, and subscribe. Boom, boom, boom. All right, baby, give us a shout out. Hey, the music we've clipped and shortened in this podcast is awesome and is made available through the Creative Commons license. Who's that artist and what's that song? Um, I don't know, man. You do, do you know? I do. We've been saying it. It's Summer Spleef by Broke for Free. <laughs> and we have extra content all about living happy on the livinghappy.substack.com blog and it's pretty awesome. And we also have a writing tips podcast called Write Better Now. They're both awesome. But our brand new amazing creepy podcast is Dude No. It's <laughs> like that. You got to say it like that. He does say it like that. It's true crime with an occasional foray into the paranormal and the macabre. And it's awesome. And finally, we have a podcast. Loving the Strange. Which we stream live. On Carrie's Facebook and Twitter and YouTube on Fridays, but every other Friday. Every other Friday now, because we're lazy. So be sure to check her Facebook and Twitter for the dates when we are going to be podcasting live and making fools of ourselves. Live. We're going to do a Hot Wings Challenge real soon. Oh, dear God. And that's always a good one. Anyways, all my Twitter handles and Facebook handles and blah, blah, blah. It's either Carrie Jones Books or Carrie Jones Book. Carrie with a C-A-R-R-I-E. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And be kind. Be kind to us old people. Oh, yeah, we can't take much more. <laughs>